Welcome to Grace on the Go. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go. This episode is a sermon from Sunday, March 12th, 2023 called, I Have Redeemed You with a Goat, given by Pastor Jonathan Dinger. The scripture passage highlighted for today's sermon comes from the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. God's grace and his mercy and peace are yours in Jesus Christ, our Savior, Third Sunday in Lent, we're talking about redemption, and we're talking about the scapegoat, scapegoat. Um, it's an, uh, I hope that'll be interesting for you. Um, please don't, uh, please hang in there with me. I want to do some history first and a little bit of background on this day of Yom Kippur, the day of atonement. So growing up in, um, in New York City, I grew up in Queens. So uh, New York City is made up of five counties. And it was called a borough, anyway, the borough of Queens. And so I grew up there. There are more Jewish people living in Queens than live in the city of uh, Jerusalem. And so it's a very heavily Jewish population. In the apartment house we lived in, almost all of my neighbors, about 50 apartments, and about, almost all of them were Jewish. Um, and so I grew up with going to bar mitzvahs and Seder meals and having that experience in that, in that culture. And I'm old enough to remember, I'm in my, um, I'm going to keep saying early 60s for a long time. Um, but I'm old enough to remember in the late 60s and right around 1970, give or take, how Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, could, would be observed. It often fell right around near my birthday in September. So late September, early October. It's the highest and most holy day of Judaism. And you, and you heard it, thanks Tammy, I'm reading about the two goats, the, the two goats that are sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. Okay, so you have those two goats, and one in English becomes called the scapegoat. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute, because really it was one of those things in Hebrew. Azazel is the word in Hebrew. We have no idea how to translate that one, no idea. It's a very difficult word to translate. So I'll talk to you about it in a second. So it, that, that's the story. Those two goats, and, and one was a sin offering for the people. The other was, we'll put all the sins on this goat and send it out into the wilderness. So I remember how, because it really is the concluding day, about the 10th day of the new year, Rosh Hashanah, and that happens in September, and then it's the concluding day, Yom Kippur, the highest you build up to it, highest and most holy day, great reverence, tremendous observance, it's amazing. Um, and then it didn't last that long, like all businesses would close, even non-Jewish businesses, I mean, you could almost barely get a slice of pizza um, in those days, but it was observed really by the city. Um, and that kind of faded in the 70s pretty quickly. Um, but what's interesting about it is, as I, as I learned about this and, and continued to go through it, and, and then as I took Hebrew and learned uh, to translate Hebrew, you're coming across this word. And what's interesting is it talks about the word. We, we really don't know how to translate it. And as I mentioned, Azazel is the word. And so it's called... I'm going to give you, some, I'll give you all kinds of dumb stuff. I'm not trying to show off. It's called a hypox legomena. It appear, per, appears one time in the scriptures. One time. And so here's how Bible translators typically translate and understand meaning. We look at all the instances of how a word is used, and we see how it's used. And it gives us the idea of the meaning and its application and its context. Well, when you got it once, and it's the title of a goat you're going, what does this mean? Now, Jewish apocalyptic literature, uh, which comes a number of centuries after, later, uh, Azazel is the name of an angel, a fallen angel. 
okay, it's, and it has a demonic connotation to it. Now, you can understand this, can't you? Over time of, of, Jew, of the Jews observing this idea of atonement in which we're going to place, right, the high priest, Aaron, was instructed to place his hands on the second goat. The first one was killed for the place, to make atonement for the place and the people involved, okay? The second one, we put all the sins of the Israelites from the previous year on it. We physically touch the goat, place them all on that, and then send them out. And that one, and so was called the scapegoat, or Azazel. William Tyndale, in 1530, is translating the Hebrew into English, and he comes across this word and doesn't know how to translate it. So that's how we get this word. Now, most kids, this is not a vocabulary word that, are, that you use much anymore, but most of us as adults, we know what it means. A scapegoat is an innocent one who takes the blame, right? Someone who didn't do the deed, but takes the blame, correct? With me? So if you didn't know that, that's the meaning. And William Tyndale, and in his first translation, he called it an scapegoat, escape. And now it's been shortened to scapegoat. And so we escape from the wrath of God. We escape from the judgment of God because our sins are on this one we've blamed, the one who's taken the blame. So what's so I'm doing some study on this word, and they have different things because azaz can mean high place, a shadow, a cliff, a rugged place. Um, a place of power. And it's interesting because, so here's how it went. And this is what's interesting because we're going to ask why were they goats? Why did they use goats also? I don't know if you've ever, ever even thought of that question. Why didn't they use sheep? Why didn't they use lambs? Because in the Passover we studied last week, God told Moses in the Passover lamb, right? The blood of the lamb protected them from the angel of death. That's why it's called Passover. It would pass over. And God said, you can take that one-year-old male lamb from either the sheep or the goats. It's an interesting thing. It's like no sweat either way. Now it's different. And so I want to, point, I want to share that with you, why goats are significant. But so we're trying to figure out what is this thing. So here's, here's a kind of a funny story. They would actually, someone was entrusted with taking the goat out into the wilderness, all those sins on the people, take them out to the, and release them into the wilderness. Well, the problem is maybe a couple of these guys decided it was too much work and he went to go get a beer or something and the goat came back, wandered back into Jerusalem. That was not good. And so, because that would mean all those sins are returning to the people, Right? And so what they ended up doing was tasking the man who was to do this and like to take him to a high place and then like kick it off the cliff, you know, make sure that it dies and doesn't come back to kind of haunt the people. But here's the thing. That word azaz can mean a, a place of power, a high place, a stronghold. And el is often an ending to Hebrew words that indicates God, Elohim. And so I find that an interesting thing that it became a place of power, God's power, where the, that scapegoat was a place of God's power. Now, isn't that interesting? Because in Jewish tradition, it became a demonic thing, a yucky thing, a horrible thing. And in fact, it is. But think about our scapegoat. All that yuck and all that sin, all that disobedience and rebellion and hurt piled upon our Savior 
And that, my friends, is the place of God's power. Not weakness. Not tragedy or loss. That's where God shows his power most. In his scapegoat. So anyway, that's some of the background of this, where they have two goats. Now, why goats? Well, here's the thing. Sheep were known for being able to herd. They would follow the voice of their shepherd. Goats, not so much. Very independent creatures and very smelly creatures. They were just different. They had a mind of their own. They would do what they want. And so many commentators and Jewish scholars also speculate that the goat was specifically picked for the Day of Atonement because it represented God's stiff-necked people in the wilderness in times of rebellion. And, and we are too, of course, right? Plenty stiff-necked all on our own. But the goats represented that well. So what happens here then is they place this upon them and then off they go. So you have two goats, one, and they're both sin offerings, sin and guilt offerings. One goat was sacrificed to cleanse, but the second goat was given the sins to carry them. And both of those are significant. One to cleanse and one to carry. And we have the same. Thanks be to God. There's really, you probably, if you looked at the outline, you said, he only has two points. Where's Pastor Dinger and what have you done with him? Um, but I want to really give you two, two points to ponder today. Um, here's your clue in the New Testament. So we consider John the Baptist kind of the last Old Testament prophet, even though he appears there in the New Testament as Jesus' cousin. And when Jesus appears, and you've heard us say this many, many times, I think it's familiar to you, when John sees his cousin Jesus, he says, look over there, that's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It is an absolutely clear reference to the Leviticus 16, to the scapegoat. That's the lamb who takes away the sin of the world, carries it away. And so we have to unpack this a little bit. What's the difference? What's the difference? Now, in the first point, so the first point is this, it's the blame game. So when I was in seminary, one of my years, I was assigned a, a chaplaincy in the, in the uh, prison ministry, in prison ministry. So we would go every week, and I had a wonderful, it was field education, it was what it was called. And so for that term, that year of seminary, uh, I was assigned a chaplain in the prison system. And St. Louis is a, can, is a kind of a rough place. And, um, and I, I, I know why I'm not a prison chaplain. Those, those chaplains were saints. I mean, just saints, because they were patient, they could see good, they were always hoping for the best, but they were also not milk toast. They could talk straight to these guys, because you know what it is. When I went, first time I go, the chaplain says, hey, just to tell, let you know, everyone in prison is innocent. And I'm kind of like, are you like, forgive me, these, this was not even a term back then, are you like some woke progressive, you know, who thinks that everyone is incarcerated falsely? And he said, no, no, they all think they're innocent. They all believe they're innocent. And you'll get in there, and you just have to be ready for a litany of, this guy did me wrong, and that guy cheated me, and that guy took away my opportunity, and that guy was racist, and this guy hates me, and this, my wife dumped me and cheated on me, and this, right? It's everybody else's fault. And that's why they're sitting in that cell. Do you remember the movie The Blues Brothers? Anybody old enough? It is ancient. Now, I'm afraid, sorry, Kevin, it's, we're now ancient. 
But in the Blues Brothers, it's John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd, the, the two guys in black suits and the black hats and the little black ties, and they're on a mission from God, and it's in Chicago. And so they, um, the Blues Brothers are getting the band back together, and they're finally, they finally have got it all put together, and they're about to head back, and who confronts them with a machine gun in a tunnel on a rainy night? And Carrie Fisher, Princess Leia, confronts, them, confronts John Belushi, right? They were girlfriends or b married or I don't know what. They were whatever. And she confronts him with a machine gun. She's firing rounds, and, you know, and, and so here's John Belushi, one of the Blues Brothers, and he falls on his knees, and you think he's going to make amends. And what he does is, you should go look up this scene. You can find it on YouTube. It's a litany of it's not my fault. That's how he ends it, with this plaintive cry. It's not my fault. Because he left her at the altar. or That's what it was. Left her at the altar. Dumped her at the altar. And so she's been pursuing him to get her pound of flesh out of this guy. And he has one excuse after another, and she buys it. And as she drops the gun and embraces him, then he drops her in the mud and says, let's go. And off he goes. So it's a fake. He faked it all. Faked it all. So everyone in prison is innocent. It's not their fault. It's the blame game. It's hard for us. So if I have a law point for us here today, it's that this is easy for us. This is too easy for us. Like, you know, I was wa we were watching The Chosen on Wednesday, and I keep commending that. So if you want to join us at 5.30, you can jump in anytime. 5.30. We watch a little bit. We talk about it. But one of the ones we watched on, A Forest, remember, last Thursday? We were watching the one, and, and spoiler alert, I don't worry about spoiler alerts in The Chosen because it's all in the book, okay? Actually, it's not all in the book, but it's in the book. The story's in the book. And in the end, there's this great scene where the, the disciple Matthew uh, reconciles with his father. And what's cool is, I said, I interrupted, poor Forrest, I feel sorry, Forrest, that I'm present in the room because I interrupt him all the time. And I say, wait, wait, wait. I just want us to think about what he said to his father. That was an actual apology. I shamed you. You lost your business because of me. You lost your friends. You were shunned in the synagogue. Right? He just, uh, I am so sorry I shamed you, and I don't deserve it, and I am sorry. And I said to the guys, when is the last time you ever heard an apology like that from anyone on TV? Because the way apologies go now is I'm really sorry that I offended you idiots who didn't understand what I was doing. It's not an apology. If I offended anyone, I'm really sorry that you took it that way. And even in our apologies, it's like, well, yeah, I have some part to play in this, but mostly it was them. And that's the blame game. Here's the thing I want you to know from this story. This is why the scapegoat story matters so much. It's one thing to blame someone else. That takes us farther from the heart of Christ, don't you think? For us to blame someone and to not look in the mirror and say, Lord, I need you. That takes us farther away. But here's what God is doing in the scapegoat. He is flipping it on its head and creating one who receives it. You're having someone who takes the blame. And that's the gospel of it. That's the grace of it. What I want to do is show you a little video here because that's the first one. The first one is, it's time for us to 
It's time for us to walk humbly. I love that this falls in Lent. The blame game's got to stop. To not blame others, but to allow Jesus to say, let me take the blame. That's point number one. I want to show you a video. We kind of compiled it from some shows and things. And so it begins with the man at the pool who's been paralyzed for 38 years. And you're going to hear a little bit of the blame game going here. But the next piece of the, of the message I'm sharing with you is look for the holy touch. For the touch. And what the touch is accomplishing. Shalom. Me? Yes. Shalom. I have a question for you. For me. I don't have many answers, but I'm listening. Do you want to be healed? Who are you? We'll get to that later. But my question remains. Will you take me to the water? <laughs> Look, I'm having a really bad day. You've been having a bad day for a long time. So? Sir, I have no one to help me into the water when it's stirred up. And when I do get close, the others step down in front of me. And so... Look at me. Look at me. That's not what I asked. I'm not asking you about who's helping you or who's not helping or who's getting in your way. I'm asking about you. <laughs> I've tried. For a long time, I know. And you don't want false hope again, I understand. But this pool, it has nothing for you. It means nothing. And you know it. But you're still here. Why? I don't know.
So anyway, we've been watching all these different episodes, and here's the difference. When I, when I studied the scapegoat um, story, as I learned about it in, um, in school and in seminary and so forth, my idea of that, of that day of atonement was the one goat is sacrificed, the sin offering, bring out the other goat, and it was like this. Ew, ew, yuck, bleh, ver, like that. Because all the sins of the people of Israel are going on that, all the accumulated sins of the previous year. And the idea must have just kind of been horrifying. Ew. Ugh. You think of all the horror, all the shame, all the greed and, and lust and, and hatred that went on that animal. And then it's like, get it away from me. And as it struck me as I'm watching this, all of these touches of Jesus. Because it goes from a leper who no one would touch to a Gentile woman who is unclean 
who would make you unclean if she touched you, to a tax collector, to a, um, you know, someone who's uh, terrified about um, asking someone to marry him, or on and on. All of these different instances in which Jesus touches tender and welcoming and transforming. That's our scapegoat. Our scapegoat may be filled with our sin, but he strides toward us with arms wide open, saying, give that to me. That is why I came. I will take the blame. And you know, blame is so hard because we're afraid. If the blame comes to us, we may be unvaluable. We may be worthless. We may be not loved. And the scapegoat says exactly the opposite to us. Our scapegoat. Come to me. You're weary. You are heavy laden. And you are burdened. And I will take that. And I will take it away forever. Once for all. To God be the glory. Amen. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.